Mark chapter 2. Last week, we continued our study again as we're looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's interesting, as we continue to see this unfold before us, the truth of the matter is no one can have an encounter with Jesus without coming to a point where you got to make a decision. <laughs> There's that the, Our lives are, are affected one way or the other every time we have this encounter with the Lord. And we see that played out again and again and again each time as Jesus would open the word before them, the scriptures, and, and teach them. Remember, each time that happens, they're like, man, we've never heard anything like this. He doesn't teach like, like the scribes in our normal Normal teachers, he teaches with power and authority. And we know looking back, the reason for that is because Jesus, God Himself, is explaining why the Word is given. The living Word, opening the living Word. And no doubt that that is why hearts are changed, hearts are moved. And, and the question that comes, man, who is this? Who is this? And not just the words, but then seeing the actions of Jesus. And they say, we haven't seen anything like this before. And again, coming to that point where they're saying, we got to do something. We have to do something with this Jesus. And what is it that we're going to do? And hearts are changed. They either, become, they either become soft and moved and changed and transformed by Jesus, or they become harder and harder. And we see that by many that, that we talked this last time, that Jesus, he comes along and he sees this man, his name's Levi, we know him as Matthew, in a tax booth, a Jew working for the Romans, collecting taxes from other Jews, not real popular. Doesn't have a lot of Jewish friends because they all think he's a traitor, doesn't have Roman friends because he's a Jew. So his only friends are other tax collectors and sinners. Jesus calls him and says, you follow me. It says he got up, left everything and followed Jesus. And then he throws a party with all of his tax collector and sinner friends because he wants them to meet Jesus. And Jesus goes to the party, not begrudgingly, but willingly. And, and he's, he's sharing with them and he's eating with them. And many are no doubt wondering, what is going on with this? We'll see a couple of groups of those today. But we saw the Pharisees, their hearts getting even harder when they saw this. And they're like, who is this eating with sinners? And we talked last time, Jesus said, I didn't come. I didn't come to deal with the, the healthy. A physician doesn't do that. He comes to deal with the sick. He says, I don't, not, the ones that are righteous don't need me. It's the sinners that need me. And bottom line, he's not saying that some are healthy and righteous on their own. The self-righteous will never come to a point where they'll admit that they're sick and need a doctor. And that's what Jesus said. I can't help you in that condition. Humble yourself. Come to me in, in your broken condition. And we see as we pick up our story, we left off in verse 17 last time in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, it says, John's disciples, now those John the Baptist, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, came to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise... The wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Now, the grammar 
in the original language lends us to believe or to follow along that verse 18, what's taking place in our text right now, is taking place at the same time as the previous verses. Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, and we see as we put this together, these these that were taking issue with Jesus not only had a problem with who he was eating with, but the very fact that he was eating at all. Instead of feasting, they felt that he should be fasting. And when we look at this, understand that in the, in the Jewish religion, there were, there were some pillars that were within that. There were certain things, actions that they did that, that were very important parts of their worship. Three of those were prayer, giving to the poor, or almsgiving, and fasting. Now, one that took on a whole life of its own is the Sabbath day, and we're going to look at that next week, should the Lord tarry. But these three in particular, and the, the issue was that God gave these, and Jesus explains this. God gives these things, and his commands, his laws, are given to us to bless us. When we follow the Lord's commands, what we do when, he, when we do what he says, when we avoid the things that he says don't do, we are blessed. God's not holding out on us. God doesn't give us these rules and things so that, that our lives are miserable. No, as a matter of fact, if we follow them, our, we are totally blessed. The problem is when religion gets in and the religious leaders, they start taking this and they turn the blessing into an incredible burden on the people as they followed this. And not only a burden, with that then comes when you exceed what others do, this idea of self-righteousness. When I pray a certain way, when I give a certain amount, when I fast really often, man, I am totally holy and guys, aren't you blessed that you can hang around me? And that is what the problem became. And this idea of, of, well, I need to keep up with them and I need to do that in the burden and the burden and the burden. Well, Jesus addresses the heart behind the, how we follow after God. And that is the real important part. Keep your finger here in Mark chapter two. Turn back to Matthew chapter six. Matthew is the gospel immediately preceding Mark. The Sermon on the Mount, as we call it, Jesus talking with his disciples, overlooking the masses that were following after him, and he addresses these areas, these three, prayer, giving, and fasting, and he addresses the heart behind it. Notice chapter 1, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, if you're doing it so that others see. Otherwise, you have no reward with your heavenly Father who is, who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, for your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice, God's desire is to bless. 
When we give as he has given to us, we're not to do that to be noticed by others because what recognition should we get by giving? When we understand the fact that everything that we have has been given to us by God, all that we have is a gift from him. So when we simply are obedient in giving to others, giving to the work of the ministry, doing those types of things, why should we get recognition for that? But God is such an amazing God. He gives to us, asks us to be obedient in giving that out. And when we do that with the right heart, it tells us he rewards us. And the same thing with prayer. Why should we take the opportunity that God gives to us to communicate with our creator? And use that as a way to promote ourselves. When we have the right heart and we go to God in prayer, it tells us that we're rewarded for that. God blesses us with this amazing communion with one another. But if we do that to, to get recognition from others, when people say, man, did you hear him pray? Wow. Enjoy that. Enjoy that because that's the reward you get. That short-lived <laughs> Moment of moment in glory here on earth. But you lose the reward of that intimate communion with the Lord. Well, he continues, and we're going to focus a little bit on this idea now of fasting because that's what these were calling Jesus out. If we skip down to verse 16 in Matthew 6, it says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he sums it up, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus draws it right to the point here. It's a, it's a heart issue. And when it comes to fasting, here again, there's a blessing that comes with fasting. The problem is, is when it becomes a legalistic thing to follow, the, in, the, in the time of Jesus, dating all the way back to when it was given, there was only one day where it was required that the Jews fast, and that's the Day of Atonement, one day a year. Now, it doesn't mean prohibited fasting other times, but that was the only required day. The problem is the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders, and, and those self-righteous people turned it into, well, we're going to fast this day, we're going to fast this day. As a matter of fact, most Pharisees fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays, and they took great pride in that, and they let everybody know. Jesus is challenged here, why aren't you fasting? And before we get to his answer, I think it's important real quickly to touch on the fact that uh, what is fasting? Because there is a whole lot of misunderstanding, a whole lot of questions around that. And notice again, back in chapter 6 of Matthew, when you fast, it's not something that's done away with. It's something that we can be blessed by. And when we have the right heart and we do it with the, for the right reasons, it tells us that our Heavenly Father blesses that, rewards that. Fasting is simply setting aside food, setting aside our desire to eat, using self-control, putting that aside to seek the Lord, to focus completely on him. How should we fast? Well, the word, it's a compound word. It literally means not to eat. How long? 
That's a big question. How long should I fast? I'm gonna do a fast, how long? Bible doesn't say. How long? However long the Lord might lead you. You wake up in the morning and you're feeling a particular pull from the Lord in a direction to seek him very intimately about something, whether it's a decision, you need discernment about something. Maybe it's to intercede in prayer for someone else. You get up, you, 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 don't, you don't spend your normal time getting your coffee ready and everything. You seek him in prayer, maybe miss breakfast, lunch, and you're seeking through him, and then you feel throughout the day, God, God blessing you in that, hey, dinner time, bon appetit, you know, have <laughs> whatever that might be. There's no set time around it. We should fast again when we're, when we're just seeking the Lord for something very specific, very, very, very personal in that. Now, I want to focus on, however, the wrong reasons to fast, because here we're going to see this very clearly here, but don't fast to gain God's approval, because that doesn't work. God's not impressed by your fasting. <laughs> he, it's a gift that he gives to us. It's a way that we can, again, meet with him on a more intimate level. He's not impressed by that. He's calling us to say, hey, I'd love to meet you in this way, but it's not to impress him. Don't do it to make yourself feel better, because you won't. Don't do it to fulfill some religious obligation. Do it again. Realize what it is, a gift from God to us as a way to just meet with him on a special way. But worst of all, as we see out here, don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> don't do it to gain some sort of special recognition from everyone else. Bottom line is, why should anybody else know that you're fasting? Why should anyone else know that you're doing what, that what you're doing? Because it's a personal thing between you and God. As a matter of fact, you should go out of your way to make it look like you're not fasting. That's kind of what Jesus says here. I mean, you should leave candy wrappers laying around on your desk, and you should, you know, whatever, I, just to make it look, hey, nobody should know. It's between you and the Lord. The problem is, here we have these self-righteous folks coming to Jesus and saying, how come you're not fasting? And we see Jesus in his typical way, back to the text. We'll see this often, especially when he's challenged by the Pharisees. He answers a question with a question. They ask him, why aren't you and your disciples fasting? He says this, verse 19, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? And that's a, that, was, that would have been a very easy answer. Of course they can't. Well, he's using the marriage relationship to, to, to make his point. And the marriage relationship in the Old Testament was one of the ways that God used to illustrate the relationship between Almighty God and the children of Israel. A couple of instances of that, Isaiah 54, verse 5. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Here again, very clearly, the God saying, speaking of this marriage relationship, your husband is your maker, Israel. Hosea 2, 19 and 20, another example. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. God promises that he will draw his people like a groom draws his bride. And here Jesus is saying, in no uncertain terms, the groom is with you. Please understand that that may have gone over the heads of many people that were there. It didn't miss the Pharisees. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying and the illustration that he was drawing. 
John the Baptist, by the way, actually used this illustration. So the light went on with the, his disciples when Jesus answered this way. John says this, and back in John chapter 3, John the Baptist was confronted by his, by his disciples, and they were saying, Rabbi, talking to John, Jesus, the one that you pointed out to us, people are going to him in droves. They're, they're following after him. And it says this, John chapter 3, beginning in verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. And here, verse 29, he says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. John, using this illustration of the, the wedding feast, the, the bride and the bridegroom, and basically he's saying, I'm, I'm like the best man. I'm standing next to the bridegroom, and he says, I couldn't be happier. I am so excited. And again, the illustration, very, very clear. Jesus' question, you wouldn't fast during that time. They can't, can they? I mean, how many of you, you go to a wedding, a big wedding, it's been announced in the whole thing, and, and you get to the reception, and you find your little name tag and the whole deal, and, you're all in, and then all of a sudden, there's this little placard that sits right down and says, we've decided to fast. How many of you are super, super stoked about that? I mean, now you go to the reception to eat, and you probably eat stuff that you've never had before, and, and, to, and to dance and to celebrate. Well, that's exactly what happened in a Jewish wedding, except it didn't just happen for a few hours after the, after the wedding itself. It would go on for seven days, a full week of, of feasting and celebrating and dancing. As a matter of fact, rabbis were instructed to stop teaching during that time and join into the festivities. Fasting would have been looked at as absolute nonsense during that time, and that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Now, before we move past this, this illustration or this, this piece, notice verse 20. This is very key. Again, Jesus speaking, and he's got stuff in between the lines, but there's no mistaking what he's saying, especially as we look back. Verse 20, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and that word literally means by force, taken away, and then they will fast in that day, Jesus no doubt pointing to his death in that verse. His presence, though now, <laughs> causes celebration there. Now, Verses 21 and 22, he brings up some interesting illustrations for us. Note, he says, no one sews a patch of unstruck cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, and the new cloth from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wine skins. A couple of illustrations here that when Jesus spoke them, he did not need to go into detail to describe them because everybody knew what he was talking about. However, in our day, it does bear a little explanation. When he's speaking there of, of the garment, when there is a hole in the garment to patch it up, I mean, some of you get, that probably don't have any idea what he's talking about there because you actually pay extra money for your clothes to buy them with holes in them already. <laughs> and tears and rips and all that kind of stuff. Back when I was a kid, I had to work hard to get holes in my clothes. <laughs> but 
in Jesus' day, <laughs> a hole wasn't a good thing in your garment. And what he's talking about in an illustration that is there when he takes that is let's use an example of a coat. You get a coat, you wear your coat, it starts to get dirty, so you wash your coat. And what happens when you wash clothes like that? They shrink. So you put it back on and stretch out a little bit more, but things shrink up a little bit more. You wear it, wear it, and finally you get a hole. And so you're going to patch up the hole. And what Jesus is saying, you're not going to take unshrunk cloth and stick it on that hole and cover it up and sew it all up nice and neat. Because as soon as that patch gets wet, what happens? It shrinks. And it's going to tear and make a bigger hole. So he uses that as an, as an illustration. But then he goes on and he talks about this wine and wineskins. And what is that? Well, the wineskin was used for, from the very beginning of the process making wine. Grape juice was poured into a skin, an animal skin, very pliable and, and soft, that was sewn up on both ends after the, the grape juice was poured into it. And then when the grape juice began to ferment, gases are released. And so the, it expands and expands and expands and finally gets to this point where it stops fermenting, stops expanding, but then it hardens. And then the wine is opened up and the wine is poured out. But what he's saying is at that point, you can't pour new grape juice into that and let that process start happening again because it can't expand anymore. It's reached its maximum expansion. So what would happen then is it would burst, the wine would be ruined, and the skin would be ruined. He says you wouldn't do that. What Jesus is pointing to here goes way beyond fasting. He's using that as a point here. But again, what has happened with fasting, praying, all of these things, and again, Sabbath, when we get to that next week, is this was a way that they had become to basically build their way up to God, to earn favor with God, self-righteousness. And what Jesus is saying here is that the message he is bringing cannot fit into that. He didn't come to patch up the old religious system. It's something completely and totally new because the, the problem was no matter how self-righteous we think we are, when we stand before a holy and righteous, truly righteous God, we all fall woefully short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good I feel about myself. It doesn't even matter that if I compare myself with everybody else, I'm head and shoulders above them. Doesn't matter. That's not the standard. The standard is perfection. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 3. He says, beginning in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, he says, no flesh will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. And that's the only, that's the only one that matters. No flesh, by keeping the works of the law, will be justified. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And through the knowledge of sin comes our understanding that we need a Savior. And what Jesus is saying here is that keeping the law, self-righteousness, and being justified by faith alone, don't mix. You can't have both. 
They stand in opposition to each other. And again, Paul says the same thing as Romans 3 continues. Verse 21, but now, apart from the law, not alongside of it, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says in Romans 3 what Jesus is saying in these illustrations. Again, we have, we have two choices. We can try to stand in our own righteousness before God, and none of us will, fa- none of us will pass that test. Every one of us will fail. Or we stand clothed in his righteousness declared righteous. That's what justification means, declared righteous, clothed in his righteousness because of his redemptive work on the cross for you and I. Now, Jesus is not saying that the Old Testament law and prophets and everything are just completely thrown out the window. As a matter of fact, he says this in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill Fulfill. How did he fulfill? Well, he fulfilled it by, first of all, following the law perfectly. He lived it out perfectly. He lived the life that you and I are supposed to, but don't. He did it perfectly. And then he reveals the heart of God completely, as we see and through his studies and our studies of, of, of his teachings. And then he satisfied absolutely the, the law. He took the full penalty that you and I owe by suffering and dying in our place on the cross. He satisfied that debt completely for you and I. But it goes beyond that even. It now empowers us supernaturally so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gift that we've been given. Jesus, it's, it's recorded for us in Romans chapter 8. Again, Paul For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. The law wasn't the problem. The flesh is. You and I are the problem, not the law. What the law could not do, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an opt-in. He condemned sin in the flesh, notice, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And here we come to the, a, a shifting point in all of this. No longer walking according to the flesh, self-righteous, following this, but according to the Spirit. A born-again believer, the Spirit of God, alive in us as believers. Jesus said to the disciples in, the, in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And from that, you will be able to go out and be my witnesses in the world. It is only through Jesus and the power, and the, and the, the power of his resurrection that is within us that we can stand right with God. And it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we can be used by God. And the early church embraced that completely. As you read the the book of Acts, especially the first few chapters, you see that. Yes, they did. They did the things that that you and I do now. They got together. They studied the word of God. They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. But it tells us that what fired it all up was being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said there's no religious establishment. There's no religion that can do this. It is the Spirit of God alive in believers. The church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is made up of individual believers, spirit-filled believers. And But I want to spend a few minutes on this as we close. Being a spirit-filled believer is not a title. It's a condition. It is, it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you are not a believer, you've never given your life to Jesus, please understand. We can use this first illustration of the of the cloth and, and, and the, the patch on the unshrunk garment. Jesus is not interested in being added as an accessory to your life. His desire is to be Lord of your life. And when Jesus is Lord of your life, that means he calls the shots. He is the one that you surrender to and you follow after and you bring everything to. And my question to you, if you struggle with that, is why in the world wouldn't you? Your creator, you're the one that knows you better than anyone, that loves you so much that he gave his own life for you. He's the one, he's the beginning and the end. He knows what tomorrow holds. You have no idea. Why wouldn't you trust him? Why wouldn't you turn control over to him? He's not interested in patching up holes in your life. He's interested in making you whole, making you a new creation beyond what you could possibly imagine. He's not interested in becoming another accessory or garment in your wardrobe. He wants to have a total wardrobe change. No longer your own righteousness. No longer are you trying to impress God. or get, he, he wants to clothe you in his righteousness. So if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I invite you to follow him today. But as believers, as born-again believers, there's an interesting picture as we look at this last illustration. Jesus speaking of new wine and old wineskins. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 pictures, kind of compares, if you would, wine with the Holy Spirit, putting them side by side. He says this, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but note, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice it says that's God's will for us. That's God's desire for us because the days are evil. So my question is to you as born again believers, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now don't just answer that yes because you think that that's as Christians how we ought to answer that. It goes, we, need to, we need to process this a little bit and understand because it sounds like that's just a question. That's kind of a no-brainer. Well, there was a no-brainer question asked in John chapter 5 too. There's, there's this man who's paralyzed. It says he's been paralyzed for 38 years and daily he would go down to this, the, the pool of Bethesda, it was called. And there are a lot of sick and lame people would gather around and their hope was they were waiting for the waters to be stirred because they believed that when that happened, an angel was stirring the waters and the first one in got healed. Well, this poor guy for 38 years has been trying to get this and 
He says, nobody's there to help me get in the water. But that's what, he says, that's what I got to do. I got to get in the water. I got to get in the water to get healed. If I don't get in the water, I'm not going to get healed. And Jesus asks him the question, do you want to get well? Sounds like a no-brainer. But what that meant was, you need to stop trying to do this and listen to me. You need to turn away from what, what you've been thinking is going to work and listen to me. Because Jesus says, get up. And he had to abandon, turn away from watching the water to get stirred and hope somebody helps him and just listen to the words of Jesus and obediently get up and walk. And he did. So I ask you again, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, we have to realize that we got to quit trying to do things on our own, quit trying to impress God, quit trying to do all this sort of stuff and simply be obedient when he tells us. Know that he's a, he's a man of his a word. He's a, he's a God that we just simply follow after. But it, there's another step to this, another important thing that we need to understand. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Can you be? Can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? I got a confession for, for a long time now. I've said to my wife, and she could tell you, I, I say this quite often, I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. <laughs> I, I, I'm tired of getting through the, at the middle part of the day and just feeling like, oh, man, I just don't have any energy. And you know what? I know the solution. I need to eat better. And I, I need to exercise. And I really want to feel better. But I really like ice cream. <laughs> I really like cake. As a matter of fact, earlier this week, we were going to have our son and daughter-in-law and grandsons over and kind of have this big birthday celebration, and so we got this red velvet cake yeah, with the icing on it, you know? And, and then, as the night went on, they didn't show up. And so we called, and we found out, well, there was a miscommunication. It wasn't that night, and they had some other plans that they had already made and this whole other thing, and there's that red velvet cake. <laughs> And the only, thing that meant, the, the only thing that meant to me was my piece went from that big to that big because now nobody else is coming. But I really want to feel better. So let me ask, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if you do, that means some of the other things that are filling your life, that are filling your attention, need to be done away with. There might be some things in your life that if you truly want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and used by God in ways that will blow your mind, God says, that's got to go. We look at the world around us. We see this in Ephesians 5, because the days are evil. We live in evil days. We look around and no doubt all of us grieved by what we see around, even in our own country. And, and we can talk about all the different reasons why and all of these other things. But bottom line, I believe it's because the true children of God haven't done what we need to do. We haven't, we, again, we, we say we're spirit-filled believers, but it's not a title. It's a condition. We have, to, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then move out in power. I, I heard A.W. Tozer at one point said this. He said, in the early church, the church we're talking about back in Acts, 
If the Holy Spirit would have been taken out of that church, 95% of what was going on would have stopped immediately and everybody would have noticed. But you take the Holy Spirit out of the church today, 95% of what goes on would continue as no nothing happened and hardly anybody would notice. That's quite an indictment on the church. And that was A.W. Tozer's time. He's been with the Lord for a while. Many of us, especially as Christians, have heard the verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And we, we look at that as an evangelistic verse, right? As you know, that, that when we're sharing our faith with someone who's a non-believer, hey, Jesus is knocking at the door, just open the door. Problem is, that, that, hey, that's, that, not that that's wrong, but that's taken out of context. That verse actually is in Revelation chapter 3 when Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea. And he says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, literally room temperature. And how, do things get, how does water become room temperature? When it's sitting in the world long enough and it just becomes just like everything in its surrounding. That's the indictment on the church here. Because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They had, they had self-diagnosed themselves and said, hey, we're good. I mean, look, look at all the people that are around. We must be doing something right. And Jesus said, you don't understand. You have no power. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you clothe yourself that your shame and your nakedness would not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline therefore be zealous get on fire and repent and here it is behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me he closes by saying he who has an ear let him hear and that's been a challenge to me. Lord, I, give me an ear to hear. What do you want to say to me in this? And that's my prayer for all of us right now. What do you want to say to us? Give us ears to hear. Because, guys, we live in crazy times. I mean, just look at the news this week. Look at what's going on around the world. I mean, this, this great momentum, momentous thing that took place in Israel where, where the, the, the uh, embassy, the United States embassy moved to, to Jerusalem and everything. But look at the chaos that has come from that and how the world is so divided over this and people, people willing to die to fight against this. Just craziness. And what's going on with Iran and, and North Korea and all of this all over the world? And then bring it, in, bring it close to home. The, the crazy political division that is in our country. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's horrific. And the fighting that's going on, and we couldn't be more divided as a country. And then young people. If you're in junior high and high school, man, my heart goes out to you. Again, this week, another school shooting where nine kids your age were killed. And I got I to gotta wonder, I mean, I, as a parent, I understand that, that from a parent standpoint, but I can't imagine going to school and wondering. I didn't have to deal with that when I was a kid. But just, just take that for a moment and, and just what if? 
What if a spirit-filled, on-fire high school student would have talked to that kid three months ago? Would have gone out of his way to befriend him, to share the gospel with him? Would it be different today? I don't know. But I've read enough about revival to see that it changes things. It changes people. It changes communities. It changes countries. I read one time about revival that broke out in this, in this small town, and, and there, was, there were bars on every corner, and within a matter of months, they were all out of business, not because of prohibition, but because everybody got born again, and nobody went to the bars anymore, so they went out of business. <laughs> the problems that we face in our country, the problems that we face every day, the answer's not political, it's spiritual. Laws, they're broken all the time. But when the Holy Spirit of God takes over a life, and then, then it just spreads and it moves out. I mean, again, abortion. Abortion, it doesn't matter what laws get changed until, until a, a, a young woman's heart is radically transformed by the love of God and the Spirit of God and says, this life in me, there is no way no way. That's what's going to put abortion clinics out of business is when everybody gets saved. Revival. Why not here? Why not, why not now? So again, I, I bring it back to you. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? How do, how do we do that? Well, one, one verse in closing, Luke chapter 11 Jesus says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a matter of asking. And it's a matter of asking expectantly. But again, when we do that, God might, is, I, I, can, I can guarantee you, he's going to be saying, okay, I'm ready but we got to deal with this because it can't be full until that gets out. <laughs> so would you stand with me and let's ask. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask expectantly. I know the Holy Spirit wants to move. I know the Holy Spirit wants to fill lives and, and, and hearts here this morning. And if... There's nothing super spiritual about coming forward, but if you feel that call this morning as we, as we finish, we're going to close in a, in a song. We're going to let the, let the Lord move as he chooses. If you feel that the Lord is, is prompting you in that, we're going to have people up front here. We'd love to pray with you. If, you're, if you've never given your life to Jesus, don't go out of here today. 
without following after him. And we'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that. So as we sing this, this last song, I'd like to, to ask that, uh, that you come, come forward and we'll, we'd like, love to pray with you. And at the end, I've asked the, the media team to leave the lights down um, just in, you know, as, as for those that, that, want, that, are, <laughs> that are doing business with the Lord. So after we're, after we're done, we'll pray again finally in closing after the song. And then if, if, if you leave, if you leave quietly so that those that want to stay here and pray, we'll be here as long as you want to you pray and seek the Lord in that. So let's, let's go before him now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that we can now come boldly to the throne of grace because, because of what you did for us. We stand faultless, blameless, righteous because clothed in your righteousness and we come boldly to the throne of heaven and we ask right now not based on anything that we've done we're not we're not basing it on any type of merit not because we've done our devotions every day this week or we've prayed three times a day or we tithed earlier today or what none of that lord we come based strictly on your promise that if we ask you will give your Holy Spirit. You will pour out your Spirit on us. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in individual hearts. Lord, as you've done in mine this week, if there's areas that need to be dealt with, Lord, deal with us. Have your way, Lord. Holy Spirit, move freely among us at this time.